it just feels like you're you're in the moment. Like that's that's honestly my favorite thing about music as a medium is it's temporally bound and you're creating it like right now, you know? Um it sounds insane, but you're you're stuck in that moment and I I crave that feeling. It's to me it's just like such a beautiful human experience. Hello, welcome back to the Keys Coach podcast. My name's Adam, and if you play piano, keys, or synths, then this is the podcast for you. In this episode, we are chatting with the incredible Bryn Bliska. This is honestly one of my favorite episodes so far. I know I say that a lot, but this chat is so jam-packed with incredible stories from Bryn's journey in music and so much advice on how you can take your keys playing to the next level. Bryn is an amazing keys player. She plays with so many different artists, including Jacob Collier, Carol G, Maggie Rogers, and Olivia Rodrigo, to name just a few. In this episode, we chat about why adding a ninth to a major chord is the secret sauce. We chat through Bryn's process for how to learn and practice a large amount of repertoire and why the learning process is so much better over a long period of time. We chat about what it was like playing in Jacob Collier's band, why Nord is Bryn's go-to keyboard, and we also do a deep dive on her practice routine, particularly looking at how you can keep your chops in shape at the piano. There's so much in this episode and I can't wait for you to hear it. Before we get going, we've been releasing a bunch of new content over on the YouTube channel. The latest video looks at an eight-step method for how you can improvise with chords. There are so many people who talk about how you can improvise solos, but how do you improvise a chord sequence and actually make it flow and sound natural? And most importantly, how do you make it sound good? In that video, I will walk you through an eight-step process for how you can do this. And if you're someone who feels a little bit glued to the sheet music or would like to get a little bit more creative with your chord sequences, then go and check that video out. I've put a link in the video description. There's also a free PDF ebook you can download, which walks you through all those steps so you can really get those ideas under your fingers. Lastly, don't forget, if you're enjoying the podcast, you can get in touch with questions you'd like me to put to these guests. What do you struggle with on the piano? Is it something to do with chords, sound design, setup, gear, technique, practice? Get your questions in, and I want to start putting your questions to these amazing guests. You can email me adam at thekeyscoach.com, or you can send me a DM on Instagram. Okay, let's dive in. Here is the conversation I have with the amazing Bryn Bliska. Cool, Bryn. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, yeah we've well. got a we've got a mutual friend, right, Connor. Um, I was doing Connor. a recording with Connor just before Christmas. Uh, we were in the studio, and I was like going through different people that I could ask. I was like, oh, you got to ask this person. You got to ask Bryn to come on because you were doing a. It was a Jacob Collier tour, right? Together, I think Connor yes. had to do it last minute because the bass player had to had to go off do you just explain what happened yeah, Connor, there because it was like crazy Connor, story um came in at the very the 11th hour as it were um subbing in for our, our normal basis robin malarkey who's incredible and yeah. um yeah he absolutely smashed it connor's musicianship is is really insane and i was completely floored by his ability to pick up that gig um so Mad, quickly, but yeah. also just the, the loveliest guy he's a uh, he's so yeah, big shout out to Connor. Um, he's amazing. I've sort of known Connor for so many years now and it's just been, he's just always been incredible. You know, it's just like everyone loves his playing. I remember when we were at college, I met someone and they were like, they were transcribing in a room, right? And I was like, oh, what are you transcribing? And they were transcribing a recording of Connor that they'd like taken from a yeah. class. <laughs> That's <laughs> just so that funny. honestly doesn't surprise me at all. I should be transcribing Connor's recordings for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's great. So sick. He's really, really good. Oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, so... Yeah, he put me in touch with you. So thanks so much. Thanks so much for doing this. Oh, I'm really looking forward to hearing yeah. all about your all about your journey. 
And there's so much, what's so interesting, I've been doing loads of research all today, been looking kind of all through the different stuff you've been doing, and it's so unbelievably varied. That's for sure, yeah. <laughs> did you always plan for your career to be like that? or did You know, you that's kind of... a great question. Um, I mean, not entirely. So I, I actually, I grew up playing music, you know, s from a very young age, but I, I never planned to go into music as a career, really. Um, and it took me, you know, I went to college, I studied something completely different. I actually studied neuroscience, which was really interesting got super into I music cognition that, yeah. and I started grad school in kind of like a music tech neuro interdisciplinary thing. And it took me like attempting grad school to really be like, Oh, actually I need to really try to be a musician, you know, in a more traditional sense, pursue a creative career. Um, or I'll, I'll always be wondering if I should have tried it. Um, so I think with that mindset, I, I, I essentially dropped out of grad school, moved to New York and I was very through college. I had been playing a ton of music mostly jazz, studying with a lot of people. And I think when I moved to New York, I was super aware that I didn't want to gig to make money. Like I didn't want my livelihood to be dependent on just playing out because I thought that that would probably suck my joy away. Um, right. So I essentially quit playing out for a couple of years, really. Um, I made all my money tutoring math and science, which is really fun, um, but totally unrelated. And kind of in that time, I was just working on building all of my other skills that I, I felt were not on par with my playing. So I was like, okay, I need to get better at certain aspects of audio engineering. I took like online classes on mixing and mastering. Uh, I got way more into composing because I was like, maybe I'll end up in the studio world, you know, producing, composing, something in that sense. Um, I didn't envision myself being a, primarily a performer at that point. And I think it was sort of a combination of that foundation I laid in that era of my life, along with the rest of my life being mainly training as, as a performer, as a musician, eventually they kind of combined and conquered into just like a multidisciplinary mix of, of musical things. But yeah, I think for me, I also coming in late professionally, I was sort of very open-minded about what I would do to yeah. build a career. And that's kind of always been my philosophy is just, if it feels fun and kind of relevant to what I want to do in the future, I'll take it on, give it a go. Um, that's kind of how I got into Splice and making samples and all these other things. Um, I'm a very curious person. I love to learn. I like to try new things. So I think I'm always just like collecting new ideas. But I, I also feel very, um, I take a lot of pride in being good at certain things. Like I'm not the best at everything, but I think my, you know, my, my playing, my sound design are sort of like the things that I tend to punch the hardest at. And so I always get calls for those, even as I'm, you know, exploring all these other things that I want to kind of build long term. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned your, I mean, there's so many, so much there I want to ask you about and we we'll dig into all of that as we go through. But uh, you, you mentioned there about like having like a jazz training and for everyone listening, could you just explain kind of what that means to you? What do you, what do you mean by like a jazz training? Totally. So my, my kind of instrumental story, I apparently asked to play the piano when I was like two years old and right. my mom at the time. So my mom's whole family is super musical and my mom is a very musical person at heart. She's not a professional musician, but she's, you know, she was always singing and dancing around our house when I was growing up. Um, you know, nice. so I asked to play the piano and she was like, oh, wow, that's, that's a lot. Um, and she was like, maybe you should learn how to read first. So I learned how to read. Then, you know, I started taking piano lessons with, um, I don't know how she found this teacher. One woman quickly, when I started um, elementary school, I started taking lessons with the woman who was the, basically the music teacher in that school. Um, she's an amazing woman named Maggie Hearth, and I feel super blessed to have connected with her because with her, my my training was very 
open-ended and holistic. Um, you know, it was about learning all kinds of songs, reading music, writing music, um, just kind of cultivating a love of music and some technique at the same time. But it was not a rigid classical training by any means. Um, and sort of around the time I got to middle school, so I was maybe 12, um, she was sort of like, okay, you know, I've kind of given you what I can give you and I'm going to pass you off to this other guy named Jeffrey Gato, who is an amazing jazz piano player in the Bay Area, wow, okay. where I'm from in Northern California. And yeah. at that point, that's sort of when I started what I would consider a, a jazz training in the sense of really understanding the harmonic basis for jazz um, and then learning the repertoire um, or a good amount of it. So, you know, that's everything. You from mean standards, right? Yeah. Understanding chord progressions, standards, um, transcribing things, writing out solos over tunes to like really understand how to construct a solo, um, you know, voicings. I feel like voicings are just like my happy place as for many piano mm. players. Um, and then I kind of kept going in high school. I started playing jazz more in an ensemble setting. Also was playing in a bunch of other bands and that kind of vibe continued through college, even though I was not doing a music degree, but I studied with an amazing guy named Ed Tomasi, who is a ripping sax player, mostly works at Berkeley. Um, but he would come down to right. my school like one day a week and he taught me a ton of stuff kind of more deep harmonic concepts, um, you know, like giant steps changes, diminished, augment, like just crazy stuff that I hadn't really gotten to within like the bebop canon. And yeah, sort of throughout that whole time too, I think my my musical palette just as a, as a listener expanded as well. Because growing up, I was really into pop, you know, R&B of the early 2000s, rock, definitely a lot of Motown in my house. A lot of classical, a lot of jazz standards, but kind of in middle and high school, I got way more into like hip hop, neo soul. Um, in college, I remember like uh, Robert Glasper's experiment, nice. like the first volume of yeah. Black Radio dropped, and that blew my mind. Um, so yeah, that was a really long answer about jazz training, but um, for me, I think the jazz part is is understanding, you know, mostly the kind of harmonic but also melodic and rhythmic foundations of you know jazz or black american music and then also understanding sort of the history and how it's come to be um and learning to improvise but i think i was improvising even before i was sort of in the jazz language yeah 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 no absolutely i think it yeah i mean i did the whole jazz thing as well um i went to like and studied jazz in it's jazz in london at like a, a music college kind of similar and it's interesting isn't it because i sort of went all the way through it and kind of got all of the i, I got really deep like you say into like the giant steps changes or like uh how to reharm things or you know all these kind of really yeah. kind of deep things you go into and then you kind of come out the other side and almost have i mean what i don't know if this is the same for you but i kind of went like okay i'm just gonna like put that in like a box and I can occasionally delve into it, but I need to now find like, what is my thing now? Um, I don't totally. know if you find, found like a different, found that. Absolutely. I mean, I think maybe it's my, I'm a very like analytical person. Um, and I, right. I sort of think of, obviously this is kind of backwards because machine learning is, is really modeled on human learning, but I kind of think of our brains as machine learning, all of the stuff we feed it. So, yeah. you know, you're, you're consuming all of this music, you're sort of working over it in your brain and eventually those are, are the little bites of information that can be recombined into new stuff. Um, so I think there is an important stage of just sort of like taking in all of this, letting it ruminate 
it's like turning into a big musical soup. Um, and then eventually trying to figure out, you know, how, how does all this sit together? You know, how do I meld James Blake and Robert Glasper? Like, how do these things mm. create a new language um, that feels authentic to me and what I, what I love? Um, I think that's been such an interesting part of my journey too, because I am such a student and I love to learn about so many different things. Right. And trying to figure out what is your vocabulary what what aligns with you and obviously that changes over time too um but not being afraid to just kind of like claim certain things as you know i like this sort of thing maybe this isn't for me um i think you spend so much time trying to become good as a musician yeah like identifiably good and at the end of the day i think professionally that's kind of necessary but then i think there's maybe not an unlearning but just sort of like a, t a plot twist where you're like okay but what do i like you know, what's important to me to say, because we're communicating something at the end of the day. And, you know, even if you're sort of pulling words from other people's vocabulary, you need to create some kind of message that is your own in order to have an impact, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it, I, it kind of goes back to that thing. I, I was watching a video of you um, uh, singing and playing uh, River by Joni Mitchell. Um, I think Joni. it was on YouTube. One of my, one of my babes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Like, and then I, and then I, and then the next video that came on was like a, an incredible sort of synth solo over like this <laughs> sort of like awesome like changes. And I was thinking to myself, like that, it's almost like two completely different separate styles. And totally, I, I just don't know how, how, how do you kind of think of that? Do you kind of have those partitions or do you just see it all as music? That's a great question. I don't think I have internal partitions. I think I just have the kind of brain that likes to go in a lot of different directions. Um, right, okay. I definitely think about this all the time because even in my touring, you know, experience, I have really, like I go really hard in certain, in certain directions. Um, I think that's kind of something that I would consider one of my strengths is just I feel a bit like a chameleon. Um, I feel like I can get inside of a world pretty quickly and figure out how it works and how I can fit into it and help create it. Um, yeah. And I don't, at this point, I'm just like, that's my identity. Like I don't, I'm never gonna be anything less than all these things together. Um, and so there's no point in trying to pigeonhole myself. And I feel like gratefully, for whatever reason that's been embraced as well. Cause I think there is a world in which if you don't have something that people are going to call you for, for work, it could be tough. Um, like you, it's good to be known for something, but I think it's okay to be known for multiple things or to be known for just being into a ton of shit and like doing a good yeah, job, yeah, yeah. obviously. Um, I think you're yeah, so I'm right. Just, yeah. I'm very all over the map in that respect. <laughs> but I guess what you've just described, right is is the, the skills that you've got just to be able to kind of learn a new world and adapt is actually the skills that you need to be a session music or whatever I, I, we kind of use this word session musician i'm not really sure if that's like still a word anymore because i think it goes just <laughs> far beyond sort of turning up and just playing the thing i think it's so much deeper than that but it's kind of that totally. you need to be able to you need to go into an artist's world really understand their music you need to be able to go on stage with them each night and kind of become the sort of the, the kind of vehicle for their music. So yeah, I don't know. What do you, what do you think I about that? I totally feel that. I think that's such a beautiful, I think there's such a beautiful relationship that, that can be there because, you know, at the end of the day, when you're playing for an artist, you are, you're part of like this vessel, you're creating this music and energy with them. Um, and it's this really delicate balance where, you know, you're obviously in service of their vision, 
but you're there for a reason, you know, you're there to bring your thing as well. And I think that's, there's just this emergent property that comes when you have a group of people who are focused around a goal or a vision, but everyone brings their own, you know, magic and background and taste and identity to it. Um, and it, it just creates something that you could not, you can't predict it. You can't write it into existence. It just happens when you combine those forces. Um, and that feeling is just so special to me. I think that's why, you know, I coming back into live music, essentially to, to put a pin back in that other story, you know, when I was living in New York, after a few years of sort of grinding, figuring some of my, my more technical skills out, getting better, um, I did start gigging again because I was like, okay, I want to meet people. You know, I love playing. I miss playing. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't like um, beholden to it from a, a financial standpoint, which was really helpful. Um, but... I think when I started to get back into the live world, it definitely reminded me of that aspect where, you know, I think being able to access that human connection through music in real time is, is irreplaceable to me. Um, like I love making stuff. I love working with people remotely, what have you offline asynchronously, but being in a musical space that is in real time, either Mm. with other creatives and or with an audience is just, that's kind of where it's at. Um, so I think once I started to get back into gigging, I realized, okay, you know, I think that I want live music to be a part of my career, you know, forever until I can't do it anymore or whatever. Um, hopefully, which is when I'm dead. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think for me, it's always just been so important to to remember like the purpose of what you're doing beyond um, kind of the minutia that we get so so involved in. So cool. I mean, maybe we should talk about some of these people you've played with because I think the other thing is they're all so different as artists as well, yeah. um, which is, is part of what I was kind of talking about earlier. So you played with Jacob Collier, Carol G, Maggie Rogers, Olivia Rodriguez, and like so many more. Should we dive into one of them? Should we just pick, let's pick like, let's pick, yeah, say, sure. um, Olivia Rodrigo. So let's like, she's probably one of the most famous <laughs> musicians on the planet right now. So how how did that partnership come about how did that come about so olivia i played with um just recently actually and i met olivia through another music director great guy named max mitchell who i'd worked on some other stuff for and they actually called me into sub for their keyboardist because she was unfortunately sick during some rehearsals um i came in and just subbed literally only in rehearsals and left because she gratefully got better um so i left the scene i was just sort of there to fill in and help everyone have a good time. Um, and then they called me back to do sort of a multi-instrumental gig with her and actually Dan Nigro, the guy who's produced um, her records with her. And that was amazing. Um, that was the most probably like rock leaning gig I've done. I mean, Maggie's got a lot of rock in her canon. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think at this point, people have seen me do enough things that they can imagine me doing other things or those same things. Um and I think the main thing is also just building a reputation for yourself where people can put your, put their trust in you, right? So even if you're not, obviously I'm a much better keyboardist than I am a guitarist or bassist, but people know that I have certain standards. And if I'm going to be on a gig playing guitar or bass, like I'm going to make it, it's going to be good. It's not going to be yeah. as good as my keys playing maybe, but um, you know, it's, it's giving people that trust in you um, as a, as a musician and as a person, you know, I think, in most of these situations, the main thing is just being being a good person, being nice to be around, um, wanting to help and just make things great. Um, 
Yeah, yeah it's so interesting. She's incredible. It's interesting in the word in the in the US you are, you got, you all say uh, subbed, <laughs> which uh, in the UK we <laughs> oh, yeah, say depth. But it's like yeah, I know it's cool. I'm going to start using the word subbed. But it's good. Yeah, I like it. I'm use so depth. when you go in and you depth for when you go in and depth for a or sub for a artist, yeah. you're going presumably quite last minute, and there's obviously Typically, a huge yeah. amount of music to learn. So I've I've asked a few people <laughs> this, but it, and it, what's so fascinating is that everyone's process is so different. Interesting. How do you go about learning an entire artist music? And I saw you did a post about this on Instagram where you actually listed out like I your did. kind of various steps. How do you learn so much music? That's such a great question. Um, yeah, I feel like in most of the gigs I've had, there's been somewhere it's a very um, discreet amount of material and you know what you're doing. And then in other scenarios, it's either a lot and or you don't know what you're doing. So with Maggie, for instance, um, I knew what I needed to learn but it was a large amount of material. So sort of as soon as, as it felt like a real possibility that I was gonna play for her, and that was actually, it wasn't a depth situation, but it was, it was sort of supposed to be temporary and then turned less temporary um, for good reason. Um, but yeah, my first step was really just listening to her catalog. Um, so the actual records that she's put out, because um, at the end of the day, that's the starting point of their career. That's what their fans are familiar with. Um, just really yeah. internalizing that music kind of on every level. So not only am I obviously listening to things I think I might be responsible for playing, but I'm just trying to get to know, you know, what is she communicating? What's the vibe? Um, and I'm the kind of person that if I'm listening to music that much, even if I never sit down and play it, I, I basically know the songs, right? Like I know the chord changes, I know the melodies. I have not perfect, perfect pitch, but kind of perfect pitch. Um, in the sense that like pianos, for instance, I think I've just memorized the tone of a piano specifically. So mm. I know what notes are what notes. Um, guitar is way harder yeah. for me though, because people are using capos and I'm like sometimes off by a half step or whatever. Um, but anyway, so by the time I like have listened to their, their catalog for a while, I, I, I know the music on some level. Um, then if there are live recordings that I'm learning from, I would, I would turn to those next and be like, okay, how have they adapted this material into the live realm? Um, oh, okay. Interesting. So you got, you do the studio first, then listen to the live. Exactly. Right? Um, and then, yeah, from there, depending on the situation, sometimes there's stems where you could actually learn parts. And at that point I'm sort of like tag teaming, learning of parts, um, depending on the gig, if it's, there's sound design involved and working on that. Uh, but just really getting into sort of the nitty, the nitty gritty of it all. Um, Do you make any charts or anything like that? It totally depends on the scenario. There are definitely scenarios where I make charts. Um, other times I'm sort of printing out lyrics and just making little notes of things that I'm forgetting because I have maybe 85% of it memorized, but I'm like, oh, there's a different turnaround there or something like that. Um, a totally different example would be when Jacob first called me to work with him... He called me in, in May of 2021 about, and I knew we had some gigs in September of that year. And I had listened to his catalog a fair amount, but not in a super, super deep way where I was really, really familiar. Um, as soon as I knew that I was gonna be playing with him and also just having sort of an inkling about how he worked, I, I basically just started learning his catalog and transcribing it myself. Um, Cause I was like, I'm not gonna, like I need to learn this music one way or another. And I think it's on me. Um, and so I, I just basically transcribed his stuff. Um, not the whole catalog, but things I was like, okay, I know you're going to play these, you know, greatest hits type of thing. Um, and that, because of the nature of his music, that was much more 
actively sitting down and doing it because um, it's harder, yeah. you know, when there's like 18 chord changes in two seconds, like you, you gotta really sit down and you can't, I, I, I cannot pick them out of thin air, um, even to this day. So that was a really incredible, fun, isn't he? that was a really fun experience. It was like a great time. I just had so much fun learning all of his material and getting inside his, his brain and his compositions that way. And then it was kind of going into the rehearsals for that. That was much more like, I don't know what's happening at all. There was a little bit of, of back and forth regarding what we might play and what I might need to do. But I was, I was kind of shooting in the dark a little bit and just trying to bring everything I could to the music that I knew might be asked of me. Um, so that was super fun. Um, and in his, in his thing as well, mm. you know, there's a lot of arranging in real time. You know, sometimes he'll give vocal scores. Other times, you know, he'll be singing parts and you got to learn them on the spot. Um, or, you know, changing things. He's sort of like live conducting in a sense and yeah. painting the picture in real time. So that was definitely like an amazing stretch for the brain and just like a crazy yeah. amount of multitasking. Cause on that gig you're singing, you're playing. Sometimes I was playing percussion, like full octopus mode. Um, but super satisfying to just be like pulled in all these different directions. Memory's like so interesting, isn't it? Because you can't really, it's not like something you can put your finger on. It's just there. Your memory is just there. It's not like you have when you go on the stage, like, I don't know, like sheet music or something that you can like, oh, I've got that in front of me in case I forget yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, it's just sort of there. You have to rely on the fact that you're going to remember what the next chord is. Totally. Or you're going to remember <laughs> what the next part is, what's what the structure is. What kind of advice can you give everyone that's maybe like, oh, I'm just really nervous. I'm going to forget everything. Like, because <laughs> you have to put a lot of trust that's in yourself, That's such a right? great question. Um, you definitely have to have a lot of trust in yourself. Um, yeah, I think I think just doing, doing what you can to feel like you are as prepared as possible. Um, I remember we got to, we got to our first, so... For when we started with Jacob, we got to our first show. I think we had had three and a half days to rehearse. And other than the bassist and the drummer, there were me and two other girls new in the band. We had never played together as a group. And we were doing like a full, wow, okay. at least 75 minute set of, of Jacob's music. So it was, it was trial by fire for sure. And there were like a few, I remember I had like a post-it note on my profit. And I was like, okay, there's like these three eight chord passages and like three random songs that I was like, I'm going to write them down. Cause I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to forget. Um, you know, so obviously just setting yourself up for success, but I think in terms of memorizing music, um, you know, you're, I think the key is knowing what it takes for you to get there. Um, my main piece of advice is for me, memorizing works best over time. <laughs> um, you know, so like a small amount every day versus, trying to cram something a, a bunch towards the end. Obviously that's not always mm. possible, but yeah. even for me, like if I get a piece of music late at night and they're like, Oh, we need to play this tomorrow. I will work on it that night so that I can sleep on it. Um, also cause right. probably my anxiety would be so out the door <laughs> if I was not working on it. Like I wouldn't be able to sleep anyways. Um, but for me, I think knowing that my brain can just work on it subconsciously, even if I'm not thinking about it, I think breaking it up in that way really helps. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, it's just a matter yeah. of, of developing that trust with yourself. I think the main thing I find is just knowing that it's going to be okay. Um, we joke about this all the time. Me and so Brian Kessley is this amazing bassist, composer, music director, and we work together on Maggie. And we always say, you know, right. music is usually not a matter of life and death. So obviously we take our jobs incredibly seriously, but it's not like a state of emergency if something goes wrong. Um, no. So just trying to take take peace in that fact um because i do find the only time that you tend to 
second guess yourself is when you like think too hard about something, right? Like if you're grasping for information, mm. sometimes I feel like that overrides a part of your brain that's like, wait, we were just cruising here. Um, so sort yeah, of just yeah, letting, yeah. letting that roll. I think, I think sometimes as well, you can become a bit more relaxed about not forgetting stuff. You know, you can, you can become a bit more okay with just trusting your memory totally. when you realize that actually if something does go wrong, you have it within your skills to kind of correct For it sure. or put it right or make it okay or cover oh, up. Oh, absolutely. And actually, as soon as you realize that your cover up skills are like, okay, suddenly it doesn't actually become as much of a problem if it goes wrong. I know that sounds a bit, no, it, it I, kind I of makes it sound agree. like you don't have to put the work in before. You still do. Yeah, but, actually the thing that yeah. I was going to say that I forgot was actually to that same point, I feel like most of the things that, most of my favorite things that happen in music, whether in the studio or on stage are unplanned and accidental in some nature. And yeah. so you, you just have to leave room for, for that. Um, I think anything where you have 100% certainty about what you're doing there's no humanity in it. It's not fun. Um, and the audience mm. likes to know that you're, that you're putting yourself out there, that you're stretching um, in whatever, yeah. in whatever dimension. But yeah, I, I think knowing that mistakes have created so many of my favorite moments um, within my own playing and just other things I've worked on gives me a lot of solace. Cause I'm like, I think it's about, um, I forget who says this, but they're like success is, is opportunity meets preparation. And I think that's absolutely the yeah. case. You have to be, super prepared um in order to crush these things but like things will go differently than you expect and often that's going to be really great and if it's not it's a learning experience and you know most environments that i think also my my philosophy is like the environment that's right for you to be working in is one where they keep you right like if something doesn't work out for you it was not the right place to be um like, yeah. God forbid you mess up on the gig and you get fired. You know, like, that probably wasn't the right vibe. Um, no. Or you learn, you know. But I, I, I think that things tend to work out in a way that makes sense, um, even if it can be hard to accept in the moment. <laughs> how, do you, how do you hold multiple things? Because you're, you're, are, you, are you ever working with artists at the same time? Or is it pretty much that you kind of work with one artist then you move to another artist how, how does that work that's a great question um i mean as far as touring i've had some some back and forth um i'm not the kind of person like i'm not gigging like day to day back to back with different people um yeah but for instance in 2022 i was out with jacob for most of the year i got called to come back and do an arena tour with carol g in the u.s and then literally from my last show with them in Vancouver, I flew to Rome and like started up Jacob's tour again. Um, so wow. honestly, it wasn't that bad just because I was so familiar with all of their music at that point um, in both camps. So for me, it worked out okay. Um, I think there's, they're also different that it's like, <laughs> it feels impossible to get confused yeah. um, in those scenarios. Um, and for me, I just, I feel like everything is everything. Everything informs everything for me. And I know... I know myself and I know when I need to brush up on something, you know? So if we have a gig, if we're like yeah. going into a festival with no rehearsal, um, you know, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to hit the tunes or I do what I need to do. Um, even if it's just listening to get back into the mindset. Um, I like to listen to a lot of live recordings on tour when possible, just to be sort of hearing back what I'm doing while not playing. I feel like that's really, really helpful. Um, also cause I do share music directing duties on Maggie. Um, 
it's really helpful to have time when I'm not playing to, to listen to the music and think about how to keep, keep pushing. Um, but yeah, I think the other thing is since I am so all over the place musically, even when I'm on tour, I'm, you know, working on music for friends or writing music for ads, working on sample packs. Like I kind of always have (laughs) my brain in a bunch of different places. Um, I think for me, they all just feed each other. Um, obviously within reason, you can only Mm. do so many things at once, but I tend to really like to have a few things that I can ping pong back and forth between. Yeah. Also, I think because the creative process is not linear, knowing that I can move from one thing, if I'm sort of hitting a block or I need to take some time away from something, I like to have something else I can pivot to that's a a related but different direction. And then I can kind of go back and forth. I find I'm more efficient on projects that way. um, As opposed to being like, I can only work on this. I have to work on this. Um, I mean, I feel like as a human being, that's a, it's just like a tough place to be in. If you're like, I need to do this and it can just create more stress. Um, so I like to sort of have a few, a few things cooking, even if it's like, you know, when I'm at home, I'm constantly practicing and I made structure my day. So, you know, I'll practice voice in the morning and mess around with a new pedal or something on guitar and then I'll like work on something really intensely and then you know for a few hours take a break do my sort of like piano shed routine go back to work on that other thing um I like to sort of break up my day like that um because I find it helps me keep a keep perspective to you when you are making something I think having a bit of space um is is good because sometimes otherwise you'll get into like a I mean you can get into a, a beautiful creative um black hole and a lot of my best work is done in that space but sometimes i think coming back and forth um you're sort of yeah a bit of perspective no experience 100 percent. i definitely want to i definitely want to get into what you practice because there's i think there's so much there but just quickly you just to touch on something you said you said that on on your on, on maggie maggie rogers gig you you were a musical director and I think sometimes that term is sort of so widely used and can mean lots of different things. It so sure is. what uh what is a music what do you do? What as a musical director on that gig, what is your role? Totally. So basically the story there is I, I came into Maggie's camp um a little more than a year ago. They needed a keyboard player. And at the time I was I wasn't really free on an ongoing basis, but I was free for this one, you know, big US tour they were doing basically last sort of January through March. And I came in, loved it, had a really good time. I also have this, I think my approach with a gig is always to to get in there and sort of like meet whatever bar has been set for you, like learn exactly what is told of you to sort of, you know, show that you can um, and out of respect for yeah. what's been done. And then if it feels appropriate, kind of like start to tweak from there. Um, so I was working a little more on the sound design. I got like this, I'm a huge nerd about this kind of thing, but I have this, um, it's like a stereo analog distortion unit that I was using on my Nord oh, nice. for some okay. of the sounds from her second um, album, Surrender, because there's really, really specific piano tones that I was not getting. So I was like working on that, expanding right. some parts, um, that that kind of thing. And so Brian, who's the the MD there as well, who's been with Maggie for quite some time, he was kind of like, you know, we love you. Do you want to stay on the gig? And I was like, you know, respectfully, I have I have some other stuff coming up. But then they they kind of came back to me. And they're like, you know, if we make you co-music director, would you want to stay? And that's something I've been really interested in for a long time. Because um, I feel like I've done that role informally in a lot of capacities in my life. But it's something that I knew I wanted yeah. to get into more actively. But in this case, it's been really beautiful because I've been able to come in and, you know, collaborate with him 
him knowing Maggie so well, him knowing the show and the gig so well. Um, and we have sort of complementary, overlapping, but distinct skill sets. Um, so he's an absolute technical genius. He's super knowledgeable about all instruments. Like if you're like, okay, what kind of guitar do I need for this sort of sound? You know, he'll absolutely crush that. Um, everything from show yeah. programming, like MIDI connectivity, all that sort of stuff. Um, we're both really into sound design and obviously I love keyboard. Well, I also love vocal arranging. I love doing background vocals, that sort of thing. Um, so in, in that case, I would say we sort of share the responsibility. The way I see it is basically, you know, you are tasked with making sure that the artist's vision comes to life from a music and audio standpoint. People definitely define the term totally differently, um, but that kind of includes everything from helping hire the band, making sure everyone's prepared for the gig, um, working super closely with everyone in the crew, you know, especially like production manager, front of house, monitor engineer, playback, making sure that everyone is working together to produce the best show possible because at the end of the day it's like what yeah. we play is the beginning of multiple steps to it reaching the audience um like all those steps need to be beautifully executed for it to be the best potential um but yeah i, I sort of see us as like we're the, we're like the conduits for maggie's vision in this case you know just help paint the picture of the show um and make sure everything is done um to to bring it to life in that way I think a lot of MDs have more of like a, an arranging specific role. Everyone has their own approach to it for sure. And a lot of MDs, you know, wouldn't play on the gig that they're on. I think there's scenarios in which it does and doesn't work. Yeah, I think in general, it's just sort of about helping translate an artist recorded catalog to the show they want to make and making it sick from top to bottom. Sort of how I see it. <laughs> I, think there's, I think there's also quite a lot of creative input in as well, isn't there? Like crafting the intros and the outros and maybe some totally. segues and things. And I think... That part of it's quite fun. Yeah, I love being able to collaborate to sort of help, yeah, weave a different narrative for the show. Um, in Maggie's world, it's really fun because the show is super dynamic, like really changes every night, different sets. Um, so making sure we're set up on every level to be able to deliver that is really, really fun. Yeah, trying out new show intros, you know, we're constantly tweaking, even on tour, we'll be like, oh, we should extend this section or let's, you know, reharm this little bit, a tiny bit. Um, <laughs> I'm always pushing reharms, yeah. but within reason um yeah it's, it's very fun and i think for me because i am such a wide-minded freak like it, it lets me work on all these different levels i'm like oh i'm programming kemper sounds we're tweaking this guitar tone yeah let's add a third part in the harmony here like there's just it's kind of all over the place in the best way um you're just constantly yeah. finessing this like massive creation um and i think i was really lucky to come into that scenario and like I was, I was sort of just glommed onto an organization that was like really living and breathing already and just sort of helping it, helping it continue to grow. But something I'm super looking forward to is also working with folks who are, you know, out of starting at a much smaller level and building it really from the ground up. Um, cause I think that's, that's super special as well. Yeah, definitely. That's so cool. Yeah, it's a, an amazing world, the world of musical directors, isn't it? I think it's so, it's so many things. It's like, uh, I think like half of it's music and half of it's sort of people as well, isn't it? You know, that's oh, the main yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know half feels generous. Maybe like 30% music, 30% technology, 30% people, 10% <laughs> yeah. just like praying. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, stress, yeah. <laughs> Hi, it's Adam here. I just want to quickly interrupt the podcast to ask you a very small favour. If you're getting lots of value from these conversations and want to stay up to date with all our latest episodes, please do subscribe to The Keys Coach wherever you get your podcasts. This means that you can continue to hear these great conversations and you'll be notified each time a new episode comes out. 
And if you're feeling even more generous, please do consider leaving us a review. This helps others to discover the podcast and join this community. Thank you so much for your support. Hit that subscribe button. Let's get back to the conversation. Um, that's so good. Let's talk about your practice because I want to ask you about what you practice when you're at home because obviously you're touring so yeah. much uh, throughout the year. And then obviously when you get home, I imagine it's a bit kind of like a, um, you know, reinvesting in yourself 100%. and practicing and getting yourself better. So, and I love, you've been putting some videos up recently that I, I, can, I can see a bit in your shot there. It's like, I, your room looks like some sort of like laboratory with all these different sims. Yeah, and I've been, like, I've been looks very, very hard, cool. exactly. <laughs> um, so what do you... What does a day look like when you're not touring? What are you practicing? What are you doing? And you mentioned you had some kind of like routine that you follow. So totally. that would be super interesting to hear um, about. So yeah, I think, I think the funny thing about touring, especially as a keys player is it's impossible to, like you're getting good at the music you're playing, but you can't, you can't keep your chops in shape. Like it's, you just don't have the time um, in almost every scenario to be shedding like you would at home. So you're kind of like, it's kind of, it's like a reverse hibernation where you're like, you prepare, you're like a squirrel, like hoarding food or whatever. This is a terrible analogy. Yeah. But you're like getting ready to go. You're like firing on all cylinders and then you're like out and it's just kind of like, you're trying to hold on essentially to your chops. Um, and it, I think the beauty of it is it's kind of dictated by the music you're playing anyways. So if I'm not like ripping a ton of really difficult parts, like maybe my speed is going to decline a little bit, but it doesn't matter because I don't need to be doing that every night. Um... And I do bring like, I bring gear on the road. Like I have, um, I have like a smaller practice keyboard that I use, but it's just, it's just obviously not the same. Um, but when I'm home, it really, it really depends. Um, I'm definitely of the mindset that I try to, you know, practice everything that I want to be getting good at or would consider someone calling me to work for every day. Um, so for me, that's like singing guitar and keys. Um, and I think, you know, the vocal part is really just keeping my voice in good shape. And I have a an amazing vocal coach that I've worked with for a number of years from New York. His name is um, Derek Rosenblatt. And we see each other every couple of weeks on Zoom just to sort of check in. And I think also because the voice is such a human instrument, I'm really acutely aware of vocal health. So I always just like to make sure that's still going and all good. Um, yeah, yeah. And then on guitar, I kind of, my journey with guitar has been very random. Uh, I like picked up guitar in middle school, just acoustic for fun. Um, like playing songs outside with my friends and at summer camp and that sort of thing. And then right before the pandemic, I got an electric guitar. Great timing, um, except for my roommate who had to tolerate me. But yeah, at that point, I, I invested more into understanding the fretboard because I think for a long time I was like, okay, I understand voicings. I obviously have a good ear. Um, but I got more into sort of trying to translate at least a small amount of my theoretical music knowledge onto a different instrument that is laid out in this fundamentally insane manner <laughs> as a as a piano yeah. player yeah, um, yeah i think it's insane yeah as a piano player it's mad that you can have two versions of the same note on the same yeah, instrument, yeah, yeah, or like yeah. more than two it's like so three or four though, or five yeah. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. um and then i kind of got great. into more like the guitar-y like sound design aspects of guitar as well um and then yeah keys my my routine definitely changes based on my interests um i sort of have some technical things that i tend to to run through whether that's um i would say one of my my biggest gems of piano life has been this series of books by a guy named Isidore Philippe. And he has um, these books called Exercises for the Independence of the Fingers. This is something I was turned on to in college. And it's basically like a bunch of permutations, mostly in diminished shapes so that they're like equidistant um, to yeah. essentially try to improve your mind-body connection. Um, because when I first started wow. working with these books too, it was a real trip because you would read on the page and be like, okay, 
you know, if you're like numbering your fingers, like do some crazy permutation of things and you, you can't do it. Like it takes a minute to be like, oh wow, like my joints, these two fingers are on one joint. Like how do I get them to fire differently? Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of about like helping tweak the machine so that you have the physical facility for your musical ideas. Um, and then there's other stuff I do, whether it's like, you know, hand kind of stuff or scales or, you know, reading some sort of classical music and, and shedding that for, for sort of that sort of facility. And I think of those things as kind of like the physical components of improving my playing, um, you know, thinking about my tone on the instrument, my touch, my consistency, all those sorts of things. And that, that's what I would consider like the bare minimum, right? So I'm always just trying to maintain. That's something I always think about as a musician. It's so funny that we're like, you have to maintain and build at the same time. Like you can't just build, like you don't get knowledge and then it just sits there. Like you're, you're, you're constantly working. It's really an athlete. You know, you have to work at keeping yourself in yeah. shape. Um, which is just you, I think you just have to have the personality for that and be like, I'm down for the cause. Um, and just take pride in, 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 in that. Um, and then on top of that, I would say then there's kind of the like musical exploration and growth. So it's, you know, maybe I'm transcribing something new. I'm working on a new piece of music that's, you know, more feeding my brain like harmonically or something like that, or I'm writing something new. I'm exploring sound design in some new way. So a a more creative like expansion type of practice, um, which super depends on how I'm feeling. And I kind of just like have a few running things that tend to be going at once. Um, that'll sort of jump, jump back and forth between. But I would say when I'm off the road, I'm, I'm kind of working on, I tend to be working on a lot of other music stuff as well. So I'm kind of balancing practicing with, you know, working on other projects, whether it's composing or session work for folks. Um, and I see those as as a form of practice too, because you're gaining new skills and, and developing those things in that way. And for me too, I like having to execute my skills in different arenas. Cause I think ultimately having Mm. the pressure of delivering something to someone, a deadline or, I mean, back when I just wasn't working as much, even making content, you know, just being like, oh, I want to make this thing. Like, it's got to be good because I'm going to put it out there. Um, you know, just giving yourself those opportunities to just put your skills to the test and and deliver something yeah. that you feel good about. Um, I'm I'm super into that because I find um, I find I, I'm always motivated to practice, but I find it's yeah, I think it's just helpful to to have some other outside constraints to sort of force you to get something done or whatever, whatever it is, I think, um, definitely keeping in touch with something other than your own whims is good. Even though I love my whims and I mm. will follow them to the ends of the earth. Um, and it's kind of aligned with what I do mm. now, but, um, yeah, I like to have, I like to have a few things going in that respect. It's so interesting, isn't it? That the thing you were saying about technique and about having extra kind of things outside to kind of propel you. Like I was just thinking when you practice, you don't always have, if you, if you sat down and did an hour of practice, it's not, as particularly if you're doing technique things or technique kind of keeping your fingers in shape, scales, hand and all those amazing exercises you're talking about, you can get to the end of the hour or whatever it is and you, you don't necessarily notice an improvement. Oh, for sure, no. <laughs> it's yeah. more just like going to the gym. It's like, you know, when you go to the gym once for an hour, you don't necessarily, you don't come out with like a six pack after, yeah, 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 after one go. But it's quite hard to, sometimes I, I felt, I found it quite hard to get motivated mm, to do all those totally. sorts of things because the the benefit of doing it is so kind of hidden and yeah, it's I don't know what long-term. what do you think about that? It's 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 not like you can necessarily oh now I can now do all of these things that I couldn't do an hour ago. Whereas if you sat down and wrote something, yeah, it's like, like oh I've new. now got something 
I've got something new. I can like touch it. I wrote yeah. this in the last hour. Whereas to sit down and practice an hour in technique, it's like you don't really have anything other than potentially you've got better at it, but you're not yeah. necessarily. <laughs> I like mean, what do you think? That... No, I feel you. Um, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. I think I am of the nature. I like to. Um, I like for me, practice is super meditative. It's a really right. Um, like mentally, it's just such a beautiful part of my day. Um, it's something I always look forward to. Um, cause it is this, this combination of, I think for me, most music making when done well falls into this category, but it's like, it's a very Zen experience because you're in the moment and your mind is engaged just enough that your mind is totally clear. Um, but your mind is not wandering. I don't know if that kind of makes sense. Like, it just feels like you're, you're in the moment. Like that's, that's honestly my favorite thing about music as a medium is it's temporally bound and you're creating it like right now, you know, um, it sounds insane, but yeah. you're, you're stuck in that moment. And I, I crave that feeling. Um, it's to me, it's just like such a beautiful human experience. Um, so I don't really have, um, I, I don't know. I don't not like practicing ever. Um, yeah, yeah. No, of course. Crazy. No, no, no. Um, no, that's so nice of you to talk about it in such a beautiful way as well. Like it's a, like it's such a privilege as well to have the, to be, to have the privilege to be able to have totally. the time and space in a day to sit down and exactly, work on these things. Like working as a musician now, like I love the times when I can just work on my shit and it's no one's business but my own. Yeah. I think like coming up as a student and as a kid, you know, you, I, at least, you know, kind of by nature, you take that time for granted because you just aren't an adult with a life. Um, but now I, it's like super sacred to me. Um, and I think the key is, is figuring out what it is about your practice that, you know, obviously nothing's perfect all the time. Some days you're tired, whatever, you're like not feeling it. But I think figuring it out, what, what is, what are the things you can do to help create that space for yourself? So, um, mm. you know, within your means, I think, you know, something I tell young musicians is as much as you can try to make it sound good when you practice, right? Like whatever level you're at, try yeah. to invest in something that is going to make you inspired to play. Um, cause that's, that's, what's going to keep you in it. Like you want to sound sick, like you want it to that's be great. Go, um, yeah. and so sometimes for me, like, even if I'm doing, um, really sort of routine technical stuff, I'll play the same exercises, but I'll use totally different sounds. Right. So for me playing, even different pianos, like literally physically would make a huge difference, but even on a Nord or something, playing different piano tones, that's gonna change the way I need to play what I'm playing. Or God forbid, if you switch to like a harpsichord, a whirly, like an organ, just switching the tone mm. of what you're doing is so informative. Um, I remember there's this one figure in one of, of Jacob's songs, it's a tune called Sleeping On My Dreams, it's beautiful. And there's a this sort of harp ostinato that is super um, quantized and playing a harp with a really high, um, like a, a high frequency attack. It's so unforgiving if you are at yeah, all yeah. out of rhythm um, versus like a felted piano, you can get away with so much. Um, so mm. even exploring yeah. sonic palettes to inform how you're practicing. Um, like this is just the kind of shit that I nerd out about all the time. Um, 
No, you're so, it's so true as well. I guess even like practicing those technical exercises, practicing something like Hannon on a square wave or something. Totally. Yeah, it would be totally different to doing it on a, yeah. 100%. So right. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. That's so interesting. Like, I wonder, um, <laughs> yeah, God, I wonder what I sound like playing those Hannon exercises. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, oh God, something else I'll do too is like, <laughs> you know, obviously in most of this work, I'm using some kind of metronome and, you know, there's, yeah. there's the, there's the thing of like trying different subdivisions with what you're hearing. Um, so, you know, hearing it as whole notes, hearing it as core notes, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff, triplets, whatever. But also sometimes I'll put on, I'll put on drum loops and I'll shed whatever I'm doing to like these weird grooves mm. um, and yeah. just kind of like lock in with the micro timing. And it's just fun. Like, it's just fun to hear, you know, some yeah. hand and stuff over like a Dilla beat and just be like, oh, interesting. Like, how does that affect how I play it? Um, I don't know. I'm just like, I'll never run out of like weird experiments to try. So I would... If I could like expand the day to just have like a hundred hours extra per day to practice, like I would be that person. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think <laughs> when so, you're working within so nice a limited day, time frame, that's sort of where I'm like, how do I maximize for joy and mm. kind of just like maintenance at the same time? Um, and I think there's for me as well something I think a lot about in my practices within these sort of like within the more technical routines, I like to. I feel like this might sound obvious based on all the other things I've just shared, but I don't usually do things the exact same way day to day. Like right. I'll change something about it. I'll change the tempo. I'll work on something faster than I normally would. I'll work on something slower, weirdly, usually harder. Um, you know, I, I, I like to, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like always like iterating a tiny bit, not super systematically, but just to kind of keep it dynamic. Um, mm. Like even if I'm doing stuff from the finger independence, like, there's a part of it that I'll do kind of every day and then I'll just like rip a few random pages and I'll just like do the book and then start over at the beginning, that sort of thing. Um, in college, I was really yeah. deep with the practice and I had, especially in like the jazz vocabulary stuff, I literally had like a seven day, a seven part kind of regimen of stuff to practice because I had so much that I was working on that I was like, I can't do all these every day. Um, wow. And so I literally broke it up and cycled through <laughs> like a full on psychopath. Okay, um, nice. But it's fun. And I think it's, I think creating whatever structure you need to, to get to what you envision, I think is, is really key. I think what's, what's happening for me now is it's more like, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what is it that I want to envision next for myself and what are the like macro things that I want to do to get there. Um, Cause I feel like, you know, obviously I still love jazz. That's a big part of my background. I mostly work in jazz adjacent fields. So I feel like I'm kind of, I feel like there's this like big macro wave where it's like I left jazz, mm. kind of stayed in it a little bit. And now I just really crave weird weirdness right now in music. Um, right. So I feel like there's like an upwelling of weird coming back. Um, yeah. After a long I, time of. I love that jazz. Um, <laughs> I love that jazz adjacent fields. I'm going to keep that. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> Jazz adjacent. It's such a I good mean, way I make of it all jazz adjacent for better, 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 for better or worse. Um, I I can't help myself there, but I keep it I keep it tasteful and within reason. <laughs> Even on a pop gig, though, I'm like the ninth is everything. Um, like Carol G is is super. She has incredible ears and she's very specific about what she wants. And Rob Trujillo is the MD. He's made these incredible arrangements. You know, so I'm really like sticking to the plan there. But I do find in pop. Mm. Adding a ninth in a major chord is usually like 
that's the sauce you can you can provide oh man that's the that's the biggest game changer for any for anyone i've i've like been making these little videos and stuff and like i so many of them are just focused around the ad nine or the two or the sus two whatever you want to call it because if you can get that into your playing that is the single biggest game changer i think personally playing the piano. no it's 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 crazy um i think something that i loved about playing with jacob too is he has a totally different idea of voicings um you know like i going back to what i was saying i i transcribed his music i kind of made charts for his tunes and then you know playing them down with him he'd be like oh you know like use these notes specifically instead um so learning mm. how different people construct voicings is just so fascinating um and yeah. I feel like I'm at that point where you're kind of hybridizing. Obviously, we learn specific shapes, you know, drop two, all this stuff. And then just like making up other random stuff, seeing how it feels, um, trying to kind of like explode that language a little bit as well is, is really fun. Let's talk about Nord keyboards, because hey. I know you're a huge fan of Nord and like every picture is you're, you're with Nord or you know, <laughs> something similar. So what um, what is it about Nord keyboards that you love? Because so many people that have come on this podcast are like, Nord is just the one. So what what, what is it about them that you, you love so That's much? That's such a great question. I mean, so I was super fortunate in the sense that in high school, there was a kid who was a few years older than me who was an amazing piano player and he had Nord. This is like probably the original Nord stage. Um, and I was just drawn to the way it sounded off the bat, I was like, okay, you know, they've done such a great job of sampling instruments. Um, and just the catalog of bass sounds is in my opinion, the best. Um, that's my taste. Um, and obviously I'm so deep in it with them at all that I would not consider my opinion objective at all at this point. But for me, like Mm. it comes down to, you know, you pull up a piano, you pull up a Rhodes, does it sound sick? And is it great to play? Um, and then, you know, I think over time, the thing that's really beautiful about their keyboards is you can program so deeply and also you can reprogram really easily in live, um, in, in real time rather. Right. So I think it has this double appeal where, you know, if you're on a pop gig and you need to dial something in explicitly, you can do that. And also if you're on a more freeform gig, you can kind of set up a palette and be tweaking it in real time. And they, you know, I got the opportunity to visit them in Sweden this past year, um, and it's just i think they just have a really beautiful approach to what they're doing it's it's kind of like an extended family business you know it's a pretty small company they've been at it for a long time they have just a ruthless desire to keep making their keyboards better um and they do like for instance i got the they sent me the stage four recently and i'm working on a a sound bank for that which was like literally a dream come true crazy um and you know they basically redid the whole synth architecture to match what they have on the nord wave i think and also improve upon it um you know, they just are constantly trying to create tools that are going to be inspiring. Um, and to me, I think that's what gets 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 back to you is, is having something that you're just inspired to play um, and you feel you could just kind of dive into endlessly. Um, mm. That's that's kind of my spiel on them, yeah. It's so much more than the sound though, isn't it? Because I, I, I don't know if you find this, it's the sound that, that you get makes me play differently. Oh, 100%, yeah that like on all these different things. And I think that's what's that's what sometimes you can miss. It's like, oh, this is just a really nice sound to play on. But it's actually the fact that that sound is making you things that you, like if you've got a whirly sound, that's going to be making you play things that you wouldn't play on a 100%. piano or you wouldn't play on a synth. And it's it's getting you, helping getting you out of that, those familiar patterns. Totally. You know? No, I absolutely agree with that. Um, 
And I think it's so cool that they continue to bring in, you know, amazing keyboardists and sound designers to make sounds for their keyboards. Mm. Um, I've learned so much um, diving into sounds that people have made, both on the Nord and I also work with Sequential, so on the Profit Rev too. Um, yeah. I, I got into synthesis, you know, analog synthesis a bit later. Um, like I didn't get a synth until also like 2020. I was all in the box. So I kind of knew mm. principles of synthesis, but definitely the first time that I heard an analog synth coming out of my own speakers, I was, it was, I was like, oh my God, <laughs> my mind is blown. Um, yeah. Pretty, pretty crazy what they've done. Um, but yeah, getting inside of the sounds that people have created and just understanding how they were built is so interesting. And so um, I feel like that's, that's really how I've learned a lot about sound design is just understanding how, how things have been made so that I could, you know, combine concepts and and reconfigure things and, and do all that. So I know also, and you, you mentioned this earlier, but you also do a huge amount of scoring as well, scoring projects. Can you just talk to us a little bit about that? Because obviously that's very different from playing live. This is creating the whole thing on your own in your studio. How did you get into that whole world? Totally. Um, so scoring is something that I'm, I, I feel like I started doing a little bit in college. Um, I mean, I think the thing is I, I, I liked to compose music like i've written music since i was a, a little kid including some like really really bad pop that is on cds in my parents house um you know so i think scoring nice. for me um was a natural extension of that um and i think i'm the kind of person that i can do pretty well with outside parameters and structure um i think having some creative choices made for you is incredibly liberating um you mean like getting a brief or something? Yeah, like or that. like literally having a picture that you're like, I need to work to this picture. Yeah. Okay. As opposed to the yeah. universe of possibilities living inside my head. Um, so I think getting into it, it was sort of a combination of like projects I had done with friends, little things. Um, I got a bit more into sort of pitching music for ads. So this is a combination of writing to picture, but also a lot of it is audio branding. So it's kind of writing to brief. Um or writing production mm. music to brief. So they're like this kind of vibe run with it. Um, and I think scoring, scoring long-term is something that I would love to kind of continue to grow into. It's not something that I, I get to do as much of as I would like to. Um, obviously I can't do that much cause <laughs> I'm only one human. Um, yeah, you're for right now, so but, um, yeah, I think I really kind of got to start doing, doing projects for friends, um, working on little things, mostly for free, eventually getting paid gigs, like did some podcast stuff, that sort of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, really just kind of saying yes to everything that came my way that seemed like it would be fun creatively. And yeah, I think learning to collaborate with, if it's a cinematographer or a director, whoever it is, like, I feel like there's also sort of an artist-producer relationship there. So it is very familiar. Um, I think the fun challenge sometimes there is just the, um, how, do, how do people talk about music, right? So you're you may be a musician with your vocabulary and your approach to music but you're you're working with someone who has a totally different perspective on music um which for me is super healthy and really inspiring like i love working with people who care super deeply about music but are not musicians um because ultimately you know that's most of humanity maybe is not professional musicians but people who course, really yeah, fucking yeah. love music um and i yeah, I just like to put myself outside of my own head because we all get in our, you have, we have our ways of thinking and those are great. Mm. But um, I think understanding music from a non-musician perspective is so fun and really helpful. Oh yeah, 100%. To the craft. Um, yeah. So I like working on, on those kinds of projects because you're collaborating sometimes with people who have really specific musical visions and vocabulary and other mm. times like 
it's a wild ride. <laughs> so interesting. I I find that as well. Like it's been really my partner is really interest like is is so interesting talking about music. Because he goes um you know he he talk about music in a completely different way to anyone I yeah. know who is in music. So he'll he'll talk about um genre but not actually talk about like rock or yeah, pop yeah, yeah. or he talk about moods. Yeah. So it's like um and and how the music makes him feel totally. which is completely different yeah. to how musicians talk about it which is like oh I like jazz or I like this kind of specific type of you know it's it it's kind of just like looking at music as much more of a kind of emotional totally. thing and you know, music is about how it sort of, you know, I, I have music that kind of brings me up in energy and I have music that brings me down in energy. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, have you, have you found that I as well? love that so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with that as well. Um, yeah, I think it's funny because I feel like you get to a point with music where I feel like I'm both trying to learn so much all the time and I want to understand everything on an incredibly detailed level and I also want to forget everything I know and think of it yeah. really holistically. Um, you know, so... Mm. again music is a form of expression and it's about communicating right so i think what you're communicating um you can communicate it for whatever reason you can have whatever basis like the reason you make something may be incredibly technical you may be like theoretically this is really cool to me i want to do this and it may be received by someone as like someone may get you 100 in that channel and someone else might be like this makes me feel crazy like you know like i just think it's so fascinating how it can land differently for different people um and also with recorded music too just listening through different eras of recording styles and technologies and the the feelings that those evoke um based on you know trends of the time production equipment of the time um i'm super obsessed with thinking about the macro perspective as well um right and i think it's really healthy and necessary because like I might be listening to a song and in my brain, there's just like a, a like a credit scroll of like info, like metadata yeah, yeah. about the music, which is psycho. <laughs> like it's crazy. But like sometimes I no, need to all, turn yeah. that off and be like, okay, that may be true, but yeah. also like what the fuck is going on here? Um, I think that's such an interesting, that's something I think I'm really working on right now is like tuning in, like zooming in and out the levels of what I'm doing. Mm. Um, I think that's yeah. a really important part of being a successful musician or producer is having the micro in the macro or at least knowing where you're at like you may be rick rubin you may be like super macro or you may be you know a brilliant mixing engineer in your micro but you you have the mm. macro in mind um so i think i'm really interested in that that push and pull um and i think i tend to i think i i understand the micro very well and that sort of tends to be like maybe what sets me apart from other people um or what I could be known for just cause I can, I can kind of get things and get inside them, but I really, yeah, the big arc of it. I like to not be that person all the time. Um, cause that's not what matters, you know, at the end of the day to me, like that's not the reason for, for creating and that's not what most people will perceive either way. So I think it's kind of about, you know, using those things to communicate something, but I'm also, I think I am a bit of an academic at heart in the sense that I do find experimentation for experimentation is very, very interesting. Um, so it kind of goes both ways. <laughs> I love that thing you said about the metadata, by the way, because I kind of have that because I, I do have perfect pitch and I would 100% in a heartbeat choose not to have it. That's, yeah. Basically, because... Um, I just wish there was a switch. I, luckily, I don't have the... 
Oh man, I I love yeah. that so much. Like I I think I've I've said this before in the podcast, but it's um it's a bit like it's a it's it's exactly like you describe. It's like I'm downloading the code. Yeah. And sometimes I'll read the code before I'll think that's a really beautiful piece of music. Totally. So I'll have like all of these notes and chords in my head that I'm yeah. hearing or seeing or however you want to describe yeah. it. Yeah. But actually I'd love to just be able to hear a piece of music. Oh totally. Yeah. I often say I feel like I have a debilitating awareness of music in the sense that like yeah. When when I hear it, it's just it really is it's in there and it's it's there's a lot of activity in my brain. Um mm. and so it's it's interesting. You know, I I I the other thing I've been thinking about a lot recently too is I've been revisiting a lot of music from my past that when I heard it, I like my mind was blown, right? Um because I find the yeah. more you listen to music, and there's just so much music coming out now, like it's hard to find that feeling. It's harder to be surprised. It's harder to be like, holy crap. Um, you know, so I've been going back to a lot of things that just absolutely floored me when I first, like if it's like D'Angelo or something like that, just losing my shit. Um, mm. And trying to kind of get back inside that mindset of returning to the things that totally opened up my world. But I also fantasize about like, what if I could just delete all that knowledge or just turn it off for a little while and just like hear <laughs> that for the first time again. Um, yeah, it's such a trip because you, you get so deep in the world um and it's just you can't you can't really go backwards <laughs> it's beautiful no but it's, once it's you're in you're trip. in it's like yeah. a rabbit hole <laughs> yeah it would be nice to sort of I, I completely agree and i always i always wonder what it must be like to hear like i mean i mean <laughs> can you imagine like this is what happens when people listen to things like ornette coleman they're just like what the yeah. hell is going yeah. on you know or you know like all of these kind of you know totally i i think it is um Julian Villard was talking about that. He's he's actually based in LA as well. Oh, he's awesome. an amazing singer songwriter. I interviewed him a few weeks ago. And he was he was chatting about that. But anyway, yeah. I feel like I'm also always it's, trying um, to seek yeah. out new stuff. Um, like obviously, there's no way I'll ever listen to you know a tenth of a percent of the music that exists. You know, I think I'm always just trying to expand my palette. Um, whether that's like backwards mm. in time, like through like you know exploring different musical cultures around the world. Um, there's an account on Instagram called Dust to Digital. It's an account that basically, it's just crowdsourced submissions that are all videos of people around the world making music, mostly in just like their daily lives, right? It's not like performance context. It's right, just okay. like kids ripping on a zither or whatever. Like it's so inspiring to just see music present throughout the world. Um, and mm. I think it, it provides a really healthy perspective as well when you're like really deep in the industry and you're like, this is my life. This is my job, blah, blah, blah. Um, just be like, no, it's really not about any of that. And like this kid is going to show you mm. what's up. Um, as far as discovery yeah. of music, that's a great question. I feel like I tend to, so I'm a <laughs> proud title user. I have been on title since they started it. <laughs> and for me, mostly I was really invested in obviously the better sound quality, but also the crediting on title has been really good since day one. And I'm the kind of person that I'll be listening to music and I'll be like, who wrote this? Who produced it? What else have they done? That sort of thing is very yeah, important to my process. Um, so I'm kind of just in that, in that lane now. Um, I would say honestly, right. most of my music comes from in this day and age it comes from people i know it comes from friends um recommendations and then it's it's existing artists that i know um putting out new stuff and re trying to revisit old things in my catalog or i'll be like i want to learn about x subculture and just do like a massive deep dive on something um that's kind of how i go i'm not a big algorithmic listener as though i, I do think there's a lot of merit and discovery that can be done there um it's just not really been my mode um and i tend to be pretty 
not all the time, but I often get really deep into something specifically, um, like an artist or a record and I'll just like run it to death or even I'll listen to the same song for like three hours. Yeah. I've been going back into like a massive dirty loops phase right now. And I'm just like mainlining dirty loops straight to the dome right now. Um, I don't know. I just, it's, I feel like it's such a technical and soulful group in a way that's really fun. Um, yeah, but Back in the day, I was definitely like big into blogs, um, you know, more editorial curation. And I still kind of keep a pulse on that a little bit, but I'm not as good. Um, but I used to be like right, a huge okay. NPR head, that sort of thing. Um, OK Player, you know, all these different curation um, spaces that I unfortunately feel like just don't have the same, what's the word, audience power, et cetera. You know, with social media, I feel like it's it's yeah. all gotten diluted. And in a good sense, in that sense, it's very... Um, it has the potential to be very democratic. I don't think we could say it's executed as such, but um, I do miss a little bit of that um, curatorial edge because it's a little harder to seek out. And I feel like, frankly, they're having a harder time getting by. Um, yeah, that was a long answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. Well, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna let you go because it's been such an amazing interview chatting with you today. Oh, thank and you just, so much. I've it's learned so much as well, and it's been what I've loved is we've gone in so deep on so many little little aspects of piano playing and stuff. One thing I always ask everyone at the end of an interview is like, what is is there something you haven't done yet? <laughs> Which would, um, for you, I think, because you've done so many different There's things. There's literally you might, you might like everything. everything. But... There's so many things I haven't done. <laughs> I can't even begin to answer that question. Yeah, I'm I'm like very much a a student of life. Um, like, I feel like the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And the more you do, the more you're like, right, oh my yeah, God, no, I've course. done literally nothing. <laughs> as far as like a really, I mean, I would say two things that are really forefront in my mind. I think one is, um, I've had kind of band projects and a solo project in and out of the works for a long time. And I want to figure out what is my, what's my artist entity? What's my like, mm. just for me creative outlet? Um in a yeah. slightly more organized fashion than it currently is. Um, so that's a big thing is just like, what do I want to do for myself? And like, just let me be in charge. Um, and then I would say the other like big long-term thing is I just, I would love to do more scoring. Um, I think I would love to work on TV specifically cause I, I like m- kind of medium format content. Um, and I definitely have like a, a pretty contemporary edge to my music making overall. But I would love to to score a, like a full length film as well. Um, those are big life goals Amazing. for sure. <laughs> that sounds so cool. I'm sure you're going to do it. Like you've um, oh, done all these you. other amazing things. I'm sure it's going to be great. Um, where can people go and check out uh, you and maybe go hear you play? Where's the best place for them to go? And do um, that? Great question. My website is just my name, Um That's probably a place to go. <laughs> um, I have a mailing list that you can sign up for there that I try to update as well um, regarding gigs and that sort of thing. And then I would say, honestly, Instagram for better or for worse is sort of the most rolling basis of perceiving my life, musically speaking. Um, so <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good to, place yeah. to go as well. Awesome. I'll put links to those in the oh, uh, episode you. description. Thanks so much for coming on, Bryn. It's been so great chatting. Thank you. Thanks so much to Bryn for coming on the podcast. What an incredible musician and just so many amazing ideas there for you to take away and put in your own playing. Thanks so much for coming on. I so enjoyed that conversation. If you want to go and check out Bryn's music, you can go and check out all the links in the description. I've put lots of uh, links down there so you can go and check that out. I'll be back next Thursday with another episode. But until then, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and I'll see you in the next episode.
Thank you.